23. Ezekiel chapter 23. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? One here? Any other Bibles? Ezekiel. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, every bit of it. And Lord, how you just bring yourself to life, Lord, in this book, Ezekiel. We praise you for your word, for by it we are warned. By it we're built up, encouraged. Lord, we want to know you. We need that so much to just be built up in the knowledge and understanding of you. We love you, Lord. We rely upon you for every bit of our life. Fill us this morning with the Holy Spirit and your understanding. I pray that I would not be a distraction just to the teaching of your word as your word goes out this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a couple real powerful chapters. Ezekiel chapter 23 and 24. The, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came again to me saying, verse 2, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were then, were their embrace, their virgin bosom was pressed. Their names are Ahola the elder, and Aholabah, her sister. They were mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem is Aholabah. Ahola played the harlot, even though she was mine. And she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, who were clothed in purple, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all for whom she lusted. With all their idols she defiled herself. She has never given her harlotry brought she has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt, for in her youth they had lain with her pressed her virgin bosom and poured out their immorality upon her. Therefore, I have delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians for whom she lusted. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, and slew her by the sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. So... Two women here, Ahola and Aholiba. Ahola, you probably have a footnote there. It means her own tabernacle, meaning her tabernacle. Her tabernacle is God. And that represents Israel in the north. Aholiba is my tabernacle is in her, or I am in her. It says in verse 4, they were mine, my own daughters. This is just an expression of God's heart for his children. Let's put up the, uh, can we put up the, here, here is a, uh, a map of, of the divided kingdom after Saul under Rehoboam. This was a united, before uh, before. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, 
This was all one nation here. But when Rehoboam came into power, there was a civil war. The nation split up. The kingdom of Judah in the south, Judah, the kingdom of Israel in the north. You can, uh, you can leave that up there, Dave. And it says the, it, these two daughters, Ahola and Ohala and Olaba, it says they were originally in, in Egypt, down in verse 2 and verse 3, where they committed harlotry, referring to the fact that in Egypt, a lot of people don't understand this, but in Egypt, when they were slaves, they got to be slaves because they had become idolaters of the Egyptian uh, gods. As a general rule, there's a principle in the Bible. When you become enslaved, uh, when, when you become an enslaved to, to, to something, something preceded it. And th- there's numerous references including this chapter right here that the, where the Bible refers to the fact that they weren't good Hebrew boys and girls in Egypt. That's not what they were being. Uh, they were attached to Egyptian pagan gods, including the golden calf, and we'll uh, m- more on that in a little bit. It says in verse 3, very descriptive language here. They committed harlotry there. Their breasts were there embraced. Their virgin bosom was there. And so there was a, initially there, there was a purity. They had come 70 uh, of them down with Jacob down into Egypt at the time that Joseph was prime minister. But over time, they saw the pagan gods around them and they, they, it, there's just that they lost their virginity, their, pers- their purity, so to speak. Their virgin bosom was pressed. That's very descriptive language. Uh, their names, Ohala and Ohalaba, her sister. And it says, they were mine. They were mine. But it, it, it begins there uh, with the northern tribes. It says in verse 5 that she played the harlot. And she lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians are, are up here. And over time, the Assyrians sort of, they, uh, they controlled this whole area. And eventually, when the, the Assyrians, uh, over time, about 150 years before Judah fell, the kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. But when they initially started coming into the land, they, verse 6 says, their soldiers were clothed in purple. In other words, there was something very attractive about them. Now, I was talking this morning about the prodigal son and the fascination that we are born with, the fascination with what the world offers and here are these uh, Assyrian Empire, incredibly wealthy they, uh, and, and powerful. They, they were basically a world empire at the time. They came in clothed in purple. Purple in uh, ancient times uh, was a- actually, a, it was a textile, it was a garment. It was very expensive uh, material and and. and Sort of the, the picture here is that the, sort of the women uh, coming in, but really what it's, it's, it's speaking and representing the women, the two women here represent really all the people, but these Assyrians coming in uh, and they're clothed and they're dashing and there's wealth there. And it was like, uh, it, it, and here, wow, it doesn't mince words. It says, it, verse seven, it says, and with all for whom she lusted. She just lusted after this luxury, after these lusty soldiers that came in, all of them, verse six, desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. So it's interesting how so many times on Sunday evening, it, we, the teaching here in Ezekiel will parallel something that we do in, uh, we, we 
teach in, and talk about in the morning, just that fascination with uh, the world. A- and it says that they lusted after them. They lusted after them. It says there, verse 8, she has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt. Meaning they started their harlotry in Egypt. In fact, in the ancient excavations of the city of Dan. Now, Dan was originally in the south, but they didn't like it there. And if you remember, some of you remember in the book of Micah, all of a sudden the Danites are moving from the south to the north. They didn't like what God gave them. And by the way, that was a really bad idea because the north was going to be taken over by Jeroboam who would just twist and pervert the, the, the worship of Jehovah. But, so they went up to the north and they became from all the way south to the north, northernmost tribes and they have actually unearthed a golden calf there that the Jews, the Jews worshipped. Just left over from Egypt is what it was. The golden calf they that Aaron and the children of Israel made, same thing. They did something that they were just doing that they had learned in Egypt. She has never given up her harlotry brought from, from Egypt. So sin, really attractive. The world, really attractive. But as we talked about today, Sin always, 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 ten times always takes way more from you than it gives to you. Look what happens. Verse 9. I delivered her, therefore I have delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians. They uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters, slew her with a sword. She became a byword among women. Again, referring to Samaria, to Ohalah which means her her tabernacle, or her tabernacle is God, so she's not living out her name, and they executed judgment on her. Satan is always going to take from you exponentially more at the end than what he gave you in the beginning. Because we see this from cover to cover in the word of God. That was Ohala. Now, if only I can pronounce these correct. The next verse is Ohalaba, and I don't know if the accent is on the right one, but anyway, now, verse 11, although her sister Ohalaba saw this, in other words, so Judah in the south, under King Hezekiah, remember that wonderful story about King Hezekiah and 185,000 Assyrians being killed. The Assyrians had moved, they had seen the Assyrians come in and just take over the kingdom of Israel in the north, and they saw, they knew why it was. It was the idolatry, the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, the rest, many other prophets had been warning the kingdom of the north, that, look, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be destruction. So the kingdom of Judah witnessed the whole thing. They saw it. Well, now, though her sister, Ohalabah, saw this, she became more corrupt in her lust than she. In other words, Judah in the south became worse than Israel in the north is, is what happened. And in her harlotry, more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. harlotry. She lusted for the neighboring Assyrians, captains and ru- uh, rulers, clothed more gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled. Both took the same way, but she increased her harlotry. She looked at men, portrayed on the wall, images of the Chaldeans. Now, so uh, she was also tempted by the Assyrians. In other words, Judah was. Because remember, Assyrians took over everything except for Jerusalem. And then they were defeated and they returned home. But then, verse 14, uh, over time, uh, her... As the Assyrian Empire declines, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans increased and they became the world empire. And so all of a sudden, again, that fascination with power, that fascination with the world, all of a sudden, no, that's not, 
that's not fashionable anymore. That's not lusty anymore. Those Assyrians in the pagan pantheon that they were uh, worshiping, and all of a sudden now it's the Babylonians. That was the pagan idol of choice, the idols of choice. It, and it says, as soon as her eyes saw them, she lusted for them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. Then the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love and they defiled her with their immorality so she was defiled by them and alienated herself um, uh, from them. She revealed her harlotry, uncovered her nakedness, then I'm alienated myself from her as I had alienated myself from her sister. Now, keep in mind, this is God. And he begins with, they were mine. They were my daughters. And and just the heartbreak a father has to see his daughter go into harlotry, go and attach themselves, become one flesh with women or men just bent on her destruction, the heartbreak of the father. And so again, we, we, there's a lot about judgment here, but we're also learning about the heart of the father. Verse 19, yet she multiplied her harlotry in calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she lusted for her paramours, whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Then you called to remembrance the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians pressed your bosom because of your youthful breast. Therefore, Oholabah, Thus says the Lord God. Now he's, this is God addressing Judah. Judah, the kingdom of Judah. This is a couple years before Jerusalem was destroyed and the nation was overrun for the last time by Nebuchadnezzar. Behold, I will stir up your lovers against you from whom you have alienated yourself, and I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, Pekod, Shoah, Koah, all the Assyrians with them, all of them desirable young men, governors, rulers, captains, and men of renown, all of them riding on horses, and they shall come against you with chariots, wagons, war horses, with a horde of people. They shall array against you buckler, shield, helmet all around. I will delegate judgment to them. That's what God does sometimes. He delegates people, nations, authorities. Sometimes your boss, whoever, to, do, to, to, to meet judgment on you. That's what happens here. I will delegate judgment to them and they shall judge you according to their judgment. I will set my jealousy against you. And the Bible says that one of the names of God is jealous and they shall deal furiously with you they shall remove your nose and your ears now we've talked a lot about this the Assyrians historians many historians say that they were amongst the cruelest ruling power ruling world power that was ever on the face of the earth I mean they they put their victims on a stake and flayed them alive, skinned them alive. They ripped their tongues out. And here, it is believed to be a reference. They shall remove your nose and your ears. Instead, that's for the that's for the the jewelry. Instead of like politely asking, "Hey, can you like remove that nose earring?" No, they didn't do that. They lopped off their noses and their ears hundreds at a time. And your remnant shall fall by the sword. They shall take your sons and daughters. Your remnant shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take away your beautiful uh, jewelry. Thus I will make you cease, stop your lewdness and your harlotry. Brought from the land of Egypt so that you will not lift your eyes to them nor remember Egypt anymore. So, you know, we all have two choices, right? We can just learn from the word of God 
that attaching ourselves to the world, becoming one with the world, is going to really, really be destructive in our life. And we can learn that way. We can simply have faith in the Word of God. Or we can do what unfortunately happens so often. Many of us in this room, we've made the mistake and, and, and we didn't believe the Word of God. And so we're left with the destructive consequences. It says in verse 27, but at least at that time, we'll no longer, verse 27, lift our eyes to the, to the lewdness, to the harlotry, to those lusty men who had come in. So there, there, again, there's one of two ways for the world to, for the, for the fascination of, of the world to be done away with. It's to either obey the word of God and believe it or to test it all out and have the world crush you so much that the taste of the world is so awful in your mouth that you don't want it anymore. And when it says in verse 27, it was just so bad, they never lifted their eyes to the idolatry anymore. And it is true. During the Babylonian exile, 70 years, there's never really much mention at all ever again of the Jews giving into idolatry. And, but what, what a price, what a price that they paid. Verse 28, for thus says the Lord God, surely I will deliver you into the hand of those you hate. Into the hand of those whom you alienated yourself, they will, they will deal hatefully with you, take away all you have worked for, leave you naked and bare. The nakedness of your harlotry shall be uncovered, both your lewdness and your harlotry. Same thing that happened to the, to the prodigal son. Same thing. There's a parallel here. I will, verse 30, deal, do these things to you because you have gone as a harlot after the Gentiles because you have become defiled by their idols. You have walked away in the way of your sister. Therefore, I will put her cup into your hand. Cup in the word of God so often signifies judgment in the word of God. The cup of judgment in just reading Psalm 75 this morning, actually. But God is the judge, and in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is fully mixed, he pours it out, surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. And you see, of course, this kind of reference in the book of Revelation to the cup of judgment the cup of judgment, the cup of horror, verse 33, and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink and drain it. You shall break its shards and tear at your own breast. For I have spoken, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back. The sad picture. God is before us where, I love the book of Hebrews that first chapter 12 fix your eyes on Jesus instead of that just putting Jesus behind your back what an awful picture this is verse 35 there you, you shall bear the penalty oh how I thank God that Jesus bore that penalty for me for you <laughs> when you look at the judgment when you look at the wrath of God which is he's perfect in justice I've been repeating that a lot the last few weeks but he, the Bible is, is just that's why the, the world it's the only reason the world is, is not consumed not only because he's a God of love but he's perfect in justice his judgments are all altogether righteous and, and by his judgments we also live as well as his, his love but it says you shall bear the penalty Verse 36, the Lord also said to me, Son of man, I will judge Ohala and Ohalabah. Then declare to them their abominations. Abominations means exceedingly great sin. For they have committed adulteries and blood is on their hand. They have committed adultery with their idols and even sacrificed their sons whom they bore to me. Underline that, bore to me. Let's not be deceived. 
are kids of the Lord's. They are the Lord's. I love that reference there. They bore to me. You, our kids are God's kids. And they pass, pass them through the fire, referring to child sacrifice on the burning arms of the god Molech to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbath. For after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary. Can you imagine that? Did you guys hear that? They, they gave up their kids as child sacrifice, and then the same day they just went over to the temple and tried to like play worship. And you can just imagine just the long-suffering of the Lord to to not smite Israel immediately and Judah immediately for this. Furthermore, you sent for men to come from afar to whom a messenger was sent, and there they came, and you washed yourself for them, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. Makeup. Now, if you're in, you know, if in your you're in your teens or whatever, and you're looking for a verse. Hey, look, this is justification for my makeup. This is probably not the verse that you want to use, okay? (laughs) Because it's talking about them making themselves up for these people coming in, these worldly Assyrians and Babylonians. But anyway, of course, the best argument for makeup is grace, right? Right? Praise the Lord for grace. There is freedom, of course. Not for me to wear makeup, but for you women. Verse 40, furthermore, you sent for them, or rather, verse 41, you sat on a stately couch with a table prepared before it on which you had set my incense and my oil. This, referring to, the, to, to the, the holy place in the temple. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her, and Sabians were brought from the wilderness with men of the common sort who put bracelets on their wrists so again, just that fascination with the world. Oh, yeah, come, put your bracelet on my wrist. The Satan will do that. The world will do that. You'll just come right up. Put on just beautiful ornaments on your wrist and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said concerning her who had grown old in her adulteries. Now, this is a, this is a, a very, so almost a, a very tragic, ugly picture If you've ever seen a prostitute who's been out in the street for 15, 20 years, that's a really, really tragic, tragic sight. And that's, that's the imagery here. That's who Israel had become. I said to her, verse 43, who had grown old in her adulteries, will they commit holotry with her now and she with them? Yet they went into her as men go into women who play the harlot. Thus they went, went into Ohala and Ohalabah, the lewd women. But righteous men will judge men, will judge them after the manner of adulteries and after the manner of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up an assembly against them, give them up to trouble and plunder. The assembly shall stone them with stones and execute them with their swords. They shall slay their sons, their daughters, then burn their houses with fire. Thus I will cause the lewdness to cease from the land. So one way or another, God's law is going to be obeyed. If he has to just come in and wipe everything out, (laughs) of course, it is... He, he, he suffers long. This, is it, this, is, this judgment is literally hundreds of years in the making, in the waiting, I should say. Verse 49, they shall repay you for your lewdness and you shall pay for your idolatrous sin. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So again, the picture of Israel looking back on this time and to this day, in, Jewish, in the Jewish community, they will refer to this time of judgment. Wow, that's what it took for us to know that the Lord is God. Chapter 24, 
Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day, on the month. The Bible is a history book. It's important just to remember when we see these details. The ninth year in the tenth month on the tenth day of the month. This is sometime around December. The word of the Lord came to me saying, by the way, it's since the egg, since his exile, which had been about, <clears throat> about 15 years prior to chapter 24. But this is right around the time. This is right around 584 to 586 when Jerusalem was just about to be wiped out. And he's stating the day there. Which, by the way, he was, he was exiled at the same time as that first, uh, that, that, or was it the second? As, as I think it was the, th- no, it was the third. There was, the first king, the first son of Josiah. He was taken by the Egyptians. He only reigned a few months. The second son of Josiah was Jehoiakim. He reigned 10 years. The third son was Jehoahaz, and he was taken away by Nebuchadnezzar. And when he was taken away, many other princes and people came from Jerusalem in addition to Ezekiel himself. And so that was about 10 years before the destruction of, of Jerusalem. So he is, he's measuring, verse 1, he's measuring the time here from the time that he and the king had been exiled. Now remember, last 10 years, it was King Zedekiah, puppet king, that he's measuring his, the, the, the king that had been exiled with Ezekiel is sitting in prison in Babylon at this time. Remember Babylon, 900 miles away, three to five month journey. Verse two, son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day. The king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. Now keep in mind, this is not the day of texting. This is not, They're not Skyping into a CNN reporter in Jerusalem. This is 900 miles away in modern-day Iraq, and he's telling the people, because remember, there's a large Jewish population, probably tens of thousands, in Babylon who had all been exiled. Some of them were were stirring up problems just as the Jews were stirring up problems in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jeremiah prophesying in Jerusalem, Ezekiel here in in Babylon uh, prophesying as well, and he's telling them, look, they're 900 miles away, but write this day down. In the ninth year, the tenth month, on the tenth day, on this day, this day right now, Nebuchadnezzar's beginning his siege back in Jerusalem. So we'll read in a little bit. They'll find out that's exactly what happened. But he's, so they'll actually be able to test this prophecy. That's the point here. That's why he's being so specific. Verse 2 again, middle of the verse. The king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. The siege lasted about a year, year and a half. But he began it this very day. And all this would be verified at a later time. Verse 3, and utter a parable to the rebellious house. Now, what, again, why were they rebellious here in Babylon? These 10,000 10, plus Jews in Babylon who were uh, rebelling, they were rebelling because Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, had told them, you guys just need to submit to this king of Babylon for 70 years it is your punishment for not obeying the, the, the Sabbath of years for 490 years. They're supposed to rest the land one out of every seven years. They, for 490 years, since the time they left Egypt, they hadn't done it. And, and uh, for, for a 490-year period, they had not done it. I, I think the period of Judges was 400 years, but, but the period uh, from the Judges to now is about another about another close to 400, 450 years, close to 490, not that many though, but the point is 
for 70 years, they were supposed to be submitting to their discipline. But there were Jews in both places. In Jerusalem, stirring up Zedekiah. No, rebel against this king. Rebel against the discipline of the Lord. And they were doing the same thing in Babylon. And verse 3 says, utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, put put on a pot, set it on, and also pour water into it. So a cauldron, if you will, a big iron pot. I always think of like those movies and stuff of the Middle Ages in England with these big iron pots, you know, stirring them with these gigantic spoons. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the picture here. Verse 4, gather pieces of meat in it, every good piece, the thigh and the shoulder, fill it with choice cuts. Take the choice of the flock. Also pile fuel bones under it, make it boil well, and let the cuts simmer in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city. Now, we saw this in uh, the, the chapter 22 or chapter 21. The city of bloods. I believe this is plural, plural here. To the pot whose scum is in it. Ah, it's all that stuff on the, on the bottom of the pot. And whose scum is not gone from it. In other words, the, the water's boiled out. You know what happens to the stuff on the bottom when that happens. It's just, it's still there. Uh, her blood is, verse 7, her blood is in her midst. She set it on top of a rock. She did not pour it out on the ground to cover it with dust that it may raise up fury and take vengeance. I have set her blood on top of a rock that it may not be covered. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city. I too will make the pyre great, meaning the fire great. Heap on the wood, kindle the fire, cook the meat well, mix in the spices and let the cuts be burned up. Keep in mind, there's like people listening to this. This is a sermon and this is Ezekiel teaching this sermon. Wow. I mean, you talk about, you got to wonder, you know, how they're receiving it. No doubt some of them were were God-fearing Jews, uh, but others of them, it's just bouncing off, and they're like, this guy's just a wacko nut, all this imagery. Then they set the pot empty on the coals, verse 11, that it may become hot, and its bronze may burn, that its filthiness may be melted in it, the scum consumed. She She has grown weary with lies, and her great scum has not gone from her. Oh, no, is he going to stop saying this word? No, the next sentence. Let her scum be in the fire. And your filthiness is lewdness because I have cleansed you. And you are not cleansed. You are, will not be cleansed of your filthiness anymore till I have caused my fury to rest upon you. In verse 14, here's the, uh, the, the climax here of this Uh, the first 14 verses, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass. I will do it. I will not hold back, nor will I spare, nor will I relent. According to your ways and according to your deeds, they will judge you, says the Lord. So this is the appointed time of judgment. There is a time, the Bible says, when God's spirit no longer strives with man. The Lord just says, this is it. The The judgment is coming. It has been said that God measures time morally and not linearly. Is that a word? Linearly? You know, linear time. What is that? Linearly. Linearly, like time. We measure time in a linear way. God measures it morally. And when it just reaches the point where the sin is just, it, again, I talk about this a lot. First Corinthians chapter three, verse four, it says love suffers long. And, and in the original Greek there, it's t- it takes a long time for God's patience to boil over into anger. Love suffers long. Fascinating word, study that word, long suffering. But there he measures time morally. In other words, it's, it's when it just gets to the place where it's just so bad, it just boils over, then the wrath boils over as well. 
And then in verse 15 of the rest of the chapter, wow, what a moving, moving, powerful, powerful set of verses here. Could hardly be more powerful, more tragic. The stuff they do movies about in these verses. And you're saying, wow, what do these verses say? Well, let's, let's go for it. Also the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning and that evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I commanded. And the people said to me, will you not tell us what these things signify to us that you behave so? You see, Ezekiel loved his wife She's called here the desire of your, of your eyes. Behold, I will take away the desire of your eyes. Some translations say the delight of your eyes. He loved her deeply. It was a public thing. And he, the Lord tells him not to, to mourn, not to cry. And this is awfully strange because he had been you know, one of the qualifications to be an elder of a church is that you have a strong marriage, that you be a one-woman man, and that that's your reputation, that's part of your testimony. Well, here you have it. Here's a man, by this time, he's been married to 15 years, 20 years, and the desire of his eyes is his wife. And, and, and you know, that's what happens as you grow in the Lord, as you grow with him. Guys, your desire will grow for your wife. She will become just a delight in your eyes. And, and, and it just, it will get better and better as time, as time goes on. And, and I think what's so moving about this account is this this is a guy who has led a very difficult life I mean he spent 360 days on his left side <laughs> and then God said okay now turn over and be in your right side was it 90 days or 40 days I, I don't remember he at one point cut off all his hair which he was a priest remember also a prophet and a third of it, he, he chopped it in thirds. A third, he burned it because Jerusalem, signifying Jerusalem would be burned. A third of it, he blew into the wind. The other third, he, sl- he, he slayed the other thir- th- third with, with a sword. I mean, this is not an easy guy to receive when he comes home at the end of the night, right? You know? And... and, and but to me, just reading this, it was very moving because she was a blessing to him. And, and just, you know, women, you want to bless your wife. You, 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 you don't want to be a burden on him. I mean, can you imagine how many women would respond in, in like a loving, gracious way when their, their husband comes home bald? <laughs> you know, after, you know, the Jewish law actually doesn't even allow that. Or he says, you know, having to go out every day where he's um, lying on his side. And then at one point, he's, at one point, if you remember, he uh, had to build this like clay thing of Jerusalem with the clay figures and battering rams coming against it. We did that a a few chapters back, but she was the desire of his eyes because she blessed them. 
in the midst of just one of the most difficult ministries um, ever known. Now, I don't know why the Lord decides to take her away here. It seems unfair. I mean, Lord, after everything I've done for me, you're taking the one thing that's the, des- the, the light of my eyes, the desire of my eyes away. I did read a, a fantastic devotional this week, which it's just a devotional on that one little phrase where Jesus sends his disciples into Jerusalem to get the donkey. And remember, he says, if anyone asks you, hey, what, what are you doing with that donkey? <laughs> he, what, remember what? They just say, well, the Lord needs it. And this devotional was just about, you know, the Lord takes people away sometimes. And, and you know why? It's because he needs. He needs them in heaven. He wants them in heaven. I mean, he just wanted her. And things were getting really bad and hairy and in battle on there. And, and he just wanted to spare her. But he's told, verse 16, I'm going to take away the desire of your eyes. With one stroke, God actually took her away. Verse 19 says, the people says, will you not tell us what these things signify? And he answered to them, the word of the Lord came to me, speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul, the, and your sons and daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. In other words, Jerusalem, which was the desire of their eyes, was going to be taken away. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips nor eat man's bread of sorrow. So he's telling them, God's instructing you that when this happens, Jerusalem is going to be wiped out or a siege has started against Jerusalem and I don't want you to bemoan it. Verse 23, your turban shall be on your heads, your sandals on your feet, you shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. So no public mourning, verse Uh, Verse 24, thus Ezekiel is assigned to you according to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord. And you, son of man, will it not be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy, their glory, the desire of their eyes, and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters, that on that day one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your ears. So verse 25 and verse 26, is, it's talking about someone's going to escape from Jerusalem and is going is to say, is going to tell you on the, de- the day that the siege against Jerusalem started and that, and, the, and, and that it has been destroyed. Verse 27, on that day your mouth will be opened to him who has escaped. You shall speak and no longer be mute. This Uh, Thus you will be a sign to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel is told, until from the time now, and and he's also, the Lord's telling him to tell the people, from this day forward, unto the day we get to have a messenger come into Babylon and say, Jerusalem's finished, you guys are supposed to be quiet. And you're not supposed to mourn about what's happening and actually in chapter 33 of Ezekiel verses 21 and 22 it happens uh, it says it, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. it and it came to pass in the 12th month of our 12th year of our captivity in the 10th month on the 5th day of the month that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said the city has been captured and it says then I opened my mouth and he you know he continued but at this point it is uh, it is many months before that, and they're just told, and he's t- he, he, they're just told, you guys, this is what's happening in Jerusalem. This very day the siege has started, 
I don't want I don't want you to mourn for what is going on. Now there are a few theories about why why is God telling him not to weep uh, over what's going on in Jerusalem? The public mourning. Why is he telling him not to do that? I mean, after it seems pretty significant here. After all, the Lord actually struck or or took away uh, Ezekiel's wife as as a sign and told him not to mourn. So, what, why is he? T- why is he telling the people in Babylon not to publicly mourn? You know, there's a few different possible answers. Some think it's because they didn't want to make the Babylonians suspicious that they themselves in Babylon, oh, wow, we have more rebellious Jews here. We're, we're wiping out the, the, the Jews in, in Jerusalem. We should actually turn on these people. Some, some commentators think that. Uh, others just feel like, the city's been so wicked, I just don't want you to mourn for what's been happening there because the, the judgment is, is righteous. Another theory is that, is that they're so stunned by what is going on that their city is, is being devoured. They, they're, they've, just, they've just gone silent. But uh, uh, anyway, thus ends... Chapter 24, uh, the, the, the judgment, uh, this moving account uh, here of the beginning of the judgment of Jerusalem. The Jeremiah had been prophesying about this for, for 40 years. And then Ezekiel joined in about 10 years earlier, five, somewhere between 5 and 10 years earlier. But uh, wow, again, I thank God for the cross <laughs> and the wrath of God uh, that went on to Jesus Christ so that I may, as a born-again New Covenant believer, I can actually read about this happened to, happening to someone else and, and that you know we're living under this this. Uh, this this grace now and God's war, word by which we are warned to. We are, this is, wow, this is the holiness, the holiness of God. So on Sunday night, we end our service with prayer. 